Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts. It is 8.08 on Monday, July 15th, 2019, year of our Lord. Uh, my name is Joe Fortunato. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Michael the Merkel Murphy. Hi, Joe. How are you? Mike, I'm great. How are you? I'm tired. I uh, went for I'm also tired. I went for a four-and-a-half-mile walk, and I'm tired. Mike walks almost every day. Did you know that about Michael? I try to. Rain or shine, Mike is out there. Middle of a hurricane, Mike is out there. Uh, lightning storm, Mike fucking out there. Out there, so, juggling poles. Yep, metal poles. Poles that attract lightning. Uh, Mike, this is an exciting day, not for the podcast, uh, more because we are doing what I like to call Mega Show. Much like Megalodon, only not a shark. But instead of podcast, uh, Jeff Gordon, he gifted us four weeks of shows. Um, and now he's punished us, Michael, with absolutely nothing to talk about. So we don't think we have enough for a flagship just because all the things that we discussed last week with all the RFA signings and what we expected and some trade rumors and stuff. Well, that's all the same stuff right now because nobody got signed. And outside of a rogue Larry Except Brooks article... Capo. Caco oh show. yeah, that's true. I forgot about. Well, that was such a foregone conclusion for us that. Um, I know, but it's still something to get jazzed about. It is. About. It's something to get really fucking jazzed about. Just jazz it right in there. Uh, so aside from a rogue Larry Brooks story that we'll talk about in regards of Jacob Truba, um, not a ton to talk about on the flagship. We did, however, get a slew of questions. Um, I got five questions in my email, and then we got questions through Patreon. So thank you all for wow. donating. Uh, Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter. And those of you who are patrons, please send your questions through um, the Patreon Messenger app because that will ensure that we see it, and we will make sure we answer your questions because you are more important than everybody else. So... There you go. Uh, iTunes, leave five stars and a nice review. I think we've gotten like 15 or 16 five-star reviews in the past like week. And we had a shitload the week before. So a big thank you to everybody who is doing that. And uh, thank you all for the support. We've had some great, uh, great listenership. So we're here for you. We're doing this for you. Um, thank you Michael, friends. why don't you lead us off? Yeah, so I thought we would start off by talking about Caco, uh, just because why not, right? Um, it's the best news of the the week, so yes. It was like you said; it was a foregone conclusion. We all knew he was going to sign. Uh, I think Joe is playing with a plastic bag. Um, My wife is just putting just putting the garbage bag in the garbage well, bin. Sounds like something you should have done for her. You son of well, a bitch. you know, what, Michael. Um, it sounds like you're uh, just gonna reprimand me. And that's what's gonna happen. Um, and I wanted to ask you specifically, Joe, a couple questions in regards to. Capo resigning because, of course, everyone wants to know, you know, who he plays with and where he plays. And I want to know what you think is the right spot for him. Is it the top line with Zib and Panarin? Is that where he should be? Or maybe should he be a little lower in the lineup, like second line, and you put him on the first power play? It's a great question. And I think it's something that David Quinn is going to work with a lot 
it would not surprise me if we saw Mr. Kako on the first line, especially in the beginning. But I almost feel like it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You put him with Zibanejad, you put him with Panarin, and there's this sense of, okay, this kid is he, he's going to be overshadowed, obviously, by these two guys. That's exactly what you want. Um, we have top-notch talent in Panarin, and then you know, a secondary, like, next level of talent in Zibanejad, and Kako doesn't really need to worry about anything, and that's all well and good, but there is a part of me that believes that there is no more of a pressure-oriented role than that top-line top spot, even though he doesn't have to produce there, because there will be more eyeballs on him. There will be this stupidity sense of, oh my god, if he's not producing with them, who can he produce with? I, I do think that there is... I guess a merit is the right way to put it, to having him play on the top line, at least for part of the season or a piece of the season. But I do think he is more likely going to lock himself in as the second line winger, um, somebody who's going to play with maybe Kravstov for a period of time. But Buchnevich, um, it depends on who the Rangers' second line center is. Maybe it's going to be Ryan Strom, although that's a, a horrific thought. Hopefully it's Philip Hedl. Um and I think that's a better spot for him because it's a little bit less of this, everybody's eyes are on me, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be mentality. But that being said, I would absolutely not be surprised if he saw time on the top line. I'm just slightly concerned that we've hyped Kako up kind of in a similar fashion to the way that Leas Anderson was hyped up where nobody's really seen him play yet. We're going off of you know international numbers and uh, there's the difference obviously is that Kako is a legitimate talent, but the the fact of the matter is he's going to struggle. I think you and I have said, and we've been on record as saying that it would be amazing if he was a 40-point player for the New York Rangers, and generally 40-point players are not on the top line, and I just think that pressure might not be something that he's going to be looking to dealing with, especially he is, as he acclimates to North American ice. That's a long way of saying, I bet he's a second-line player for most of the season, but I don't doubt we will see him on the top line. I feel like it's a tricky one to answer because spooky. We, we don't know yet um, what's going on with Kreider, which is like, you know, we don't want to necessarily on the show this week just talk about how things are still in a holding pattern and uncertain because, you know, we've spent so much time talking about Truba and Kreider, but like you said, we'll touch on uh, Larry Brooks's piece. But in regards to Kako, I think he likes to think of himself as a playmaker more more than a, a shooter so he wants the puck and you know if you're on a line with Artemi Panarin it's Artemi Panarin's puck right um especially when it comes to the power play um where you know we should expect but to see Trimba. that is kind of a marriage that works isn't it like if Kako is going to be the guy that's scoring goals and, and there is I don't mean to cut you off but we, we do have to say that there is there's a difference between an Alexander Ovechkin goal scorer, somebody who legitimately does not need the puck whatsoever, right? Somebody who the puck can be on his stick for a millisecond and it's in the back of the net. And a Rick Nash goal scorer, somebody who legitimately needs the puck. He has to, you know, that's how he creates space for himself. That's how he gets in front of the net. So Mike's point is a good one. I just want to clarify that Panarin is a playmaker. Panarin can score, but Panarin is a playmaker. Panarin needs the puck on his stick. Kako can score like that as well. But Kako, a lot of the offense that he had in Liga and in He's the World Championship, scorer. right, it yes. came from him dragging the puck like Rick Nash. 
Yeah, and like, you know, with TPS in the Liga last season, 22 goals, 16 assists in 45 games at the Worlds where he was just a beast, six goals, one assist. Like, I feel like he will adjust really comfortably to the role of, you know, the guy on that line who's supposed to shoot on the opposite wing there of Panarin. And then when it's not going to him, it's Mika Zibanejad, who obviously is not shy about shooting. And I like that because... Capocacco uh, is, you know, a lefty, and Zibanejad's a righty, and to have those options with a playmaker like Panarin, I'm all about it. I feel like he should start there, and he should really only be taken out of that top line role um, to mix things up or to maybe test him, you know, being the guy who has the puck more. Um, and you know, like you said, a lot of this will come down to that second line center. And who it is, and you know, I wrote a piece for the banter about why the Rangers should really be, you know, dropping pucks in front of Filipino and making him watch a lot of video and get very comfortable with what his assignments are in the defensive and neutral zone as a center. Because moving forward, he's who you want, you know, to be that second line center on this team. And it's crazy to think, but it's it's very like I don't know. I shouldn't say very likely. It is possible that we have Kravstov, Hedl, Kako as a second line, which is quite a thing. I think that only really happens if Kreider does get moved, but it's it's a very fun time to play the game of, you know, look at the, you know, the crystal ball and try to guess what this lineup looks like, Joe. Yeah, it's... it's... There's all these exciting kids. There's going to be... You know, a lot of new faces. I mean, two huge new faces, at least, on the blue line with Truba and Fox. And then, of course, you have you have Capo Caco. You have Vitaly Kravstov. You have Philip Hedl ready to step into a bigger role. You have a very different-looking team. And, of course, you know, the Panarin guy. So there's a lot of change. But I, I, I was interested. I think it was this morning, Joe, and I got uh, an email from The Athletic where they do that kind of rundown. And, like, the very first sentence of the article was, the Rangers' rebuild is over with a Panarin signing. And I know we've heard David Quinn and JD talk about, you know, this is a build. Like, they kind of shy away from the rebuild word, because I feel like if you're saying rebuild, that means we're not trying to win. And the moves the Rangers made, it's very clear they want to start winning hockey games this season. But I don't think the building part of the team is done, and it really can't be done you know, for the time being, because there are just a lot of guys here who are not going to be a part of this team when it's successful. I feel like the Rangers have too much kind of dead weight in the lineup. Um, it, it's it's almost not even dead weight as much as it is filler, like filler gaps yeah, that you're just trying to... Yeah, filler is a much kinder term. I mean, who would you... The, like, the Vlad Nemestikovs, the Strom, Brendan Smith, Mark Stahl, like... Nemestikov and Strom... At this stage of his career for Hank, like, it, is Hank going to make this team better, or, is, or are we reaching the point where Georgiev is the better goalie to have? Or Shostyorkin. I mean, or you don't... For that yeah, there's a, there's a double-edged like, sword on that one, too. Yeah, don't I, get I'm, me wrong. I love Henrik Lundqvist, but, you know, if... We could be reaching that point where the, the the kids are the better option if you want to talk about winning. And the bottom line is Lundqvist is still here for two years with this cap hit. And the same is true of 
Stahl and Smith and Shattenkirk. Yeah, Stahl, Strom, and Nemestikov are really the only guys that I would consider dead weight, quote unquote. Everything else is like Smith is stopgap, even if he doesn't play. Um, and even in a in a lesser sense, you know, Strom is kind of a stopgap as well. Uh, it's the fact of the matter is the New York Rangers they're going to get better, and they're going to get better in the future, not because of moves that they're going to make off the ice, like free agency and and trading, although hopefully, you know, if you can make a good trade, so be it. It's more going to be the fact that they are so young across the board that once you have an opportunity to get these kids some legitimate NHL experience and guys like Hedl start stretching their legs a little bit and you you, you just see the growth of some of these guys, D'Angelo, Fox, whoever it may be, um, I think that's going to make, it's going to be a critical difference for the New York Rangers. And Part of the reason why it's so exciting to see Capo Caco potentially be a first-line player is because the Rangers have not had a guy like him in who knows how long. I mean, honest to God, the Rangers have not had somebody like him in since I can remember. And you don't get 18-year-olds who could legitimately put up 20 goals very often. So part of the thing that you need to remember, the Rangers are a young team. If the Rangers are not good next year, it's not because they're quote-unquote a bad hockey team. They might just not be ready to be good yet. And there's an enormous difference between that and what we saw with the Rangers in 2015 or even last year with under David Quinn. Um, I'm a little bit I'm skeptical about how we're going to see some bigger decisions made. I I don't know what's going to happen with the Mark Stahls of the world. I don't know what's going to happen with the Ryan Stroms of the world. Obviously, Jeff Gordon is trying to do something because there's a reason why Truba hasn't signed yet. There's a reason why um, the Rangers have uh, D'Angelo and Buchanevich and um, what's his name? Lemieux, who hasn't been signed yet. And Lemieux was somebody that we thought was going to be super easy, right? So... Should still be easy. I didn't even they mention Kreider. Waiting on him until the bigger pieces. I didn't even mention Kreider when we were talking about um, we were talking about where Kako could play because it just the assumption in my head is that he's gone, and that might not be a correct assumption. It, it does appear like the two sides are at least pretending like they're going to have uh, some type of a relationship moving forward at worst, and a legitimate relationship moving forward at best, but. There, there's a lot of question marks up in the air, and although we don't have anything to talk about right now, it's not because things are set. It's it's because the Rangers just... You said Kako, by the way. You mean Kreider. Uh, in regards to what? Probably. The, yeah, what you just said. It, we just don't know yet. It, the Rangers, are, the roster is not set. The roster is not finalized. There are still a million questions that are going on for the New York Rangers. We just don't know anything yet. That's why there's really not that much to talk about. So just keep that in mind as we, you know, go forward with that. The, the, the other big question, and it never felt like a question, but now it kind of, it's, it's being posed as one, is essentially, is Jacob Truba looking at what happened with Artemi Panarin and thinking to himself, huh, money. I want to sign a one-year deal right now and then sign an eight-year max contract next year when I'm eligible for it because I'll be on the New York Rangers through the trade deadline. And again, it is... I'm trying to think of a nice way to word this. Larry Brooks has had some pretty significant um, opinions of late, call it the past two years, but really the past year or so, that that have not translated into realities that have occurred. Um, The Truba trade, you know, what he thought it was going to take versus what it actually was, that the Rangers weren't getting Kevin Shattenkirk. I believe he was one of the people who believed that the Islanders were the front runners for um, Artemi Panarin as well. So there, 
you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't, I, that's a huge leap. Is it possible, I guess, how much of this is because Jacob Truba, you know, wanted things his way in Winnipeg? I don't know, but I tweeted this out. The Rangers knew damn well what they were getting into when they traded for Truba in the first place. I would be astounded if they were unprepared financially for what his ask was. It, yeah. it just it doesn't make sense. That's a very good point. The other thing I, I feel like this is important to say um, we're, I was talking to Tom and Shana about, you know, what what we could maybe talk about on the show tonight, and I think it was Tom who brought up the fact that, like, the Rangers are not the only team who have, you know, big questions in terms of RFAs. Um, you know, there are... Uh, Mitch Marner's name screams that out. Yeah, uh, Mitch Marner is a pretty big one. Uh, Matt Kachuk is a pretty big one. Um, but, like, if you look at... Uh, players who have filed for arbitration who haven't signed since uh like it's pretty clear that troop is the biggest name of that bunch but he's not he's not at all the only player by note i feel like you know it's a big deal that he's not yet signed but you know there's there's a lot there's it's not that he's peerless in fact neil pionk uh has filed for arbitration his his uh his date is set at july 24th in winnipeg so like obviously, those are radically different players in value. Um, although I'm not, I'm not sure what Kevin Chevaldeoff thinks. But the looking at like the fact that yeah, there are other teams that don't have key guys signed, and that's not that shouldn't come as a surprise. No, it's right, it's Joe? not uncommon. Here's the one difference, though, and yeah. I'm it, this is going to sound like I'm putting more fuel on the fire, but I'm really not because I'm not at all concerned about Truba. Yeah. Um, the difference is that a guy like Mitch Marner, who is easily the biggest RFA Mika name Rantanen, on the table. The I'm sorry? Mika Rantanen, an 87-point player last season. No, He's that's fine. an RFA. I, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of them. Braden Point yeah, hasn't signed yet, has he? Uh, I don't think so, no. So th- there's definitely named. The, the, the point that I'm going to make is the difference between a guy like Marner and Truba is that the Rangers traded for Truba. So there is this sense of, oh, they kind of have to give him what he wants because, you know, they made this investment with assets. And that is true in a sense. The other side of the coin, at least when discussing something like this, is the Rangers have a lot of business that needs to get done. And Truba is the biggest piece of business remaining. He's going to be the biggest contract. It's not even going to be close. He himself very well may end up being more expensive than Buchnevich and um, D'Angelo and uh, Lemieux combined. So you are. I wouldn't be surprised. I would actually be surprised if he wasn't. So you are kind of dealing with this. Jeff Gordon probably, he knows he can't be offer sheeted because he filed for arbitration. He's probably waiting to see how everything else shakes out. And I have to feel like this sort of silence that we're getting out of the Rangers is because they're looking for moves to make from a cap saving standpoint to try to figure this all out. I don't think they're trading Buchnevich. Kreider, Strom, or Vlad. And if they want to keep Kreider, it's almost even more finagling because then you have guys you have to worry about paying once they come off their um, bridge deals. If you're going to bridge D'Angelo and you know Buchnevich and 
I keep wanting to call uh, Lemieux Letary. I don't know why. Um, he's also an RFA. He is, and probably, I don't know, qualifying offers went out today, so we haven't heard anything about that. I'm a little curious. But the point of the matter is there's a lot of business that has to get done. I'm not concerned. Nothing outside of that Larry Brooks article has been made publicly of Truba kind of forcing his hand here with the Rangers, and I think we'd have known about it by now if he tried to do a one-year deal. The flip side, too, is if he does want to do a one-year contract and then sort of force the Rangers' hand, they can easily sign him to a one-year deal and then trade him at the deadline if they really feel that slighted to a contending team for a haul instead of having to worry about signing him to an eight-year deal when he's 26 instead of 25. It might seem petty, but there is something to be said for doing business that way if he's being a hard-ass. And his agent is notoriously tough, but again, how much of this is the fact that he didn't want to be in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg kind of caused issues from the get-go, and how much of this is this is actually who he is? The Rangers intended him to be a long-term player this year. The Rangers intended him to be a long-term player moving forward. I don't think that's changed. There, What could have happened in the past month? That would have made that change outside of the fact that Truba all of a sudden realizes his leverage. Come on. Is it is it possible? Yes. But there's no way that if that was the case, that the Rangers would not be at least leaking some of that information publicly just to try to see just to kind of garner this fan reaction when they come in with a one year deal and be like, listen, this is why we had to do this. This is you know, this is what he wanted. And the Rangers, they've said nothing. So that's my take on that. No, I think that's, I feel like that's the reasonable answer here. And, you know, like what what Larry Brooks wrote, like I understand what he's looking at and what he's talking about because there are a lot of players, especially with the potential buyout looming, like, and, you know, guys thinking about, you know, also the expansion draft and how hesitant GMs are to give out, you know, the, you know, the term with, you know, like, oh, yeah, here's your clause. You have a no move. You can't be taking the expansion draft. And here's your contract with buyout protection, which is like what Panarin has. Just, you know, only $1 million in salary. And the, all the rest of his money is in bonuses. And obviously that's very tempting for a player. And the Rangers are one of the few teams in the league that can do that. They have the, the big pocketbook to do that, right? The question to me is... How, why? How much should we read into Truba's opinion on what his next deal should look like? Changes with you know as the weeks go on here, or as the days go on, and we get closer to his the date of his hearing. Like I feel like if if we haven't gained a lot of ground, you know, by this time next week, yeah, we should be sweating a little bit, right? But I'm not. We've seen a lot of these things come right down to the wire, and then a deal gets hammered out. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's also, to some extent, I don't think there's too much to this, Joe, but it's maybe worth saying that Truba and his agent might want to proceed with some caution just because of the reputation of, like, you know, oh, he doesn't want to, you know, sign in winnipeg doesn't want to sign in new york like you know what's the like how unreasonable is he but i don't think that's going to be an issue until it kind of becomes an issue i'm not (coughs) suggesting that it is but i think that is at least on the table yeah i and again that's something that they probably have on the back burner even if it is a concern of theirs simply because players talk i mean truba would be a valued defenseman regardless of what team he goes to they're gonna he's gonna get his money one way or another really the last the the last point i'll make on this is 
uh, unhappy negotiations generally do not stay private very long. No, and no. this nego- like nothing has been said of this negotiation whatsoever. So Which if, leads us to believe that there's that probably not too much. Nothing bad is happening, and there's a there's at least a level of understanding between the two sides of what they're doing. That's what I, I would not. If you start seeing reporters on the national scale or somebody other than Brooks kind of step up and say, "Well, listen, things are kind of getting hairy. Truba wants X, the Rangers want Y. They're dug into a stalemate." Then you can start panicking, especially as we come to the what is he? Is he the twenty ninth or the twenty fifth? I think he might I be the twenty fifth. So. Until you start seeing that, I would not be concerned whatsoever. But yes, again, unhappy negotiations—they the don't stay private. They—they they just don't. There's no the not when you have the ability to use the the media the way that you want to. Um, I wanted to just reel off this list of other RFAs um, who have yet to sign that are pretty big deals. Okay, Mitch Marner, Braden Point, Miko Rantanen, Matthew Kachuk, Kyle Connor, Brock Besser, Patrick Laine. Obviously, Truba, Travis Konecki, uh, Zach Wierenski, still not signed. That's pretty freaking big. God, these uh, are, like you could build a, a legitimate all-star team with yeah, these names. Kevin Fiala, um, JT Comfer, and you know, the Rangers do have, you know, Booch and D'Angelo also in there. And it's so funny. I always look think about Tony D'Angelo's season. He missed, you know, twenty-one games, still at thirty points pretty goddamn good um point per other game player for the new york rangers especially those guys don't grow on trees he had 1919 average ice time will butcher 1916 will butcher 78 games 30 points d'angelo 61 games 30 points Eh, some food for thought on that one um but yeah there's a lot to this truba situation and i i also think this is an important point to make right Especially in in light of, uh, you know, the sentence I read this morning that definitely made me kind of go like, oh, is is the rebuild really over? Because it seems kind of premature to say when the Rangers could essentially trade Kreider for a bunch of futures. You know, like, is that part of the rebuild? Of course it would be considered part of the rebuild. Like, so that, there's still a lot of things on the table that can affect the shape of this team in the future that have more to do than just with like standard operating procedure. This roster, as you said, is still coming together. But the one thing that I think is really important here is the Rangers are are locked at the hip with Panarin, 11.6 million for the full seven years. They have to be very, very careful about the big pieces of this puzzle and how much money is invested in them. Um, And I feel like you know, it's it's kind of... I know there are a lot of people who might hear that and hear me say that and say, look, like we don't have anyone signed after two years. Like, I get it. I know. But let's just say the Rangers... But that, that changes so fast. Yeah. And, like, just think about the Brady Shea contract. And it's like, ooh, okay. What, what, what do we have here? And let's say the Rangers maybe pay, you know... 500 or 700 more K than they a year than they were expecting for Truba and what they have with Panarin like it's great they have all these kids but you do have to keep these things in mind especially if you're a team that contends and like the reality is we talk so much Joe about you have to build from within and that's the only real way to win but 
all the teams that build from within also have to find players from outside one way or another and having flexibility and cap space and having a good flexible plan for when that day comes is is a good thing you don't want to spend money you don't necessarily have to spend i don't think the rangers are going to get in that situation with truba but and he's i also think he's worth 7.5 for seven years to me like that's what he's worth you pay yeah, what he, you, he's going to be a lot of money rightfully so yeah and very I, much deservedly so he is that kind of player but I feel like the Rangers, more so than other teams, need to look at the contracts that are still hurting this team from the last time they thought they were going to win a cup. You know, they have to look at the $5.7 million on Mark Stahl, the buyout hit of $3.6 million on Dan Girardi. Um, you know, the, the contract that they got at a discount of Shattenkirk. You know, the fact that they were able to escape... Uh, the Brad Richards contract, uh, you know, with an amnesty buyout. Like, this is a team that needs to be very careful about the way it spends money. And, like, you think back to this time last year, or, you know, around this time last year, with two years for $4 million each for Ryan Spooner and Vlad Nemestikov, and it does make you just say, like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we have the money. But the thing is, not every team can take those contracts on like you have to kind of be a little more careful i think is what i'm trying to say and that's not what i mean specifically for truba but it does fit into this this rfa process like you lock up jacob truba you do that and then i think you have to ask that big question for like well what about chris Kreider? and i feel like the it's very interesting to me that people are still split on Kreider because to me it feels pretty logical that he's a luxury the team can't afford um, and like they could hold on to him and move him at the deadline, but that that carries with it a great deal of risk. Like let's say he gets hurt, um, let's say which you know he has a history of of getting injuries too. Like that would be disastrous to say. Oh crap, we didn't move him. We we definitely were trying to move him to Colorado to get 16th overall in the draft. That didn't happen. And then we didn't move him before the season, even though we were trying to figure out how, you know, the money's going to work and whether or not it's worth keeping him around. And we kind of treaded water and, you know, here we are. Like, we're still wondering whether the hell Chris Kreider is going to be here when... I can see the argument that he's going to be a valuable player to the New York Rangers, that he's a valuable player right now, but there's just such a risk to a contract like that with where the Rangers are. Uh, but, you know, I say that if you don't get the right deal, I can also see them being super regret. They could regret that trade. Absolutely. So yeah. it is a double-edged sword. I, you know what? Let's go to the questions because we do. We yeah. are. Well, there are a bunch of Kreider questions. I, I know. So did I. We did a lot. My daughter is screaming. Uh, let's begin with Tall Guy Robert, a patron. Hi, Joe and Mike. Love the podcast. What do you think about the Rangers possibly moving extra salaries via trades, burying in the, burying in the AHL buyouts, etc., to give breathing room for moves on the season? So I think we've discussed, you know, Kreider at length, Nemestikov. Yeah. Uh, remember, if you're burying, I believe it's uh, this year you save $1.075 million. Yeah, so, so it's not a ton of money. But, Mike, why don't you... Uh, take some of the other options away while I quickly grab my daughter. Yeah, sure. So I think we can safely expect you have Brendan Smith and Matt Bolesky buried because that's kind of what makes the most sense. Um, the other guys, I feel like they can move. I think there might be a temptation with 
you know, the front office and probably also behind the bench to have at least one of Vlad Domestikov and Ryan Strom because they are kind of, you know, veterans uh, that have been around enough that you can play at center in case a kid, i.e. Filipino, isn't ready there. But moving one of those two contracts is really appealing. And I feel like a lot of teams should be interested in, in Vlad Domestikov because it's just a one-year deal. You know, he has the four million hit, which is just maybe a little overpriced for for what he is. But he's not too far removed from you know the big season he had before he got traded to the Rangers. And the Rangers could sell very, very high on Ryan Strom's shooting percentage. The p- problem is you have to find a GM willing to buy into that. And uh, I, those are the two guys I think are the most logical for in terms of, you know, talking about this moving salary. I mean, other than Kreider, of course, but I don't think there's a market out there for, for uh, Brennan Smith. And according to Larry Brooks, although it's really the only place we've seen it, there's not a market out there for Kevin Shattenkirk, which to this day still flummoxes. Boggles me. the mind. Yeah, you know what the, the only problem is? The Rangers are going to have a very difficult time trading Nemestikov and Strom without taking salary back. That's the problem right now. Yeah, because the teams that would be interested in them, like, you'd have to... I don't know. And, like, there are a lot of teams right now that have big gaping holes in their lineup. Like, Columbus comes to mind, right? Where it's... Wow, Columbus would be a great place for someone like Kreider to land, but Columbus doesn't want to trade for anything. They gave up so much to get to the for their cup run and to get through that first round. Like they don't have, forget what it is. I think they don't have a second and a third for the next two years. I'll have to check that on Cap Friendly um, while I'm finishing my point. But like they have so much money in cap space. I'm sorry, they they don't have a second for the next two years. Uh, they do have their third in 2021, but like they have all this money in cap space and like what have they done in free agency joe they sent gustav nyquist uh, but I, you had to know you were going to lose that battle as soon as you yeah like you, yeah you're you gonna, just knew you were fucked especially because bobrovsky and panarin were combined 21 million like on the market what they got in terms of aav but you know there there's the question of where would strom or vlad go um, and there are teams that need center depth, and I feel like you know you could sell one of them. I think that Nemesikov has the higher value. I also think he's the far more valuable player to the Rangers. Yeah, but Strom could have that that good old reputation value though. That yeah. scored a bunch of goals, change of scenery type <laughs> nonsense. You yeah, know how he, it goes. Change of scenery. You know, on, after what is his third NHL team, he suddenly becomes a twenty goal scorer again. What happens with his fourth NHL team, right? Um, become a 40 goal scorer who the hell knows uh but i feel like like it's safe to say this ship has sailed on his reputation as a former fifth overall pick like he's 26 years old now he's this is not i don't know michael you'd be very surprised at what general managers do some general managers but those are the ones who keep getting fired well you gotta you gotta dangle you dangle like, you can't trade Strom back to Edmonton, Joe. No, but you, you, I don't know. At this point, who, who the fuck knows? Well, yeah, um, that's fair. Another patron, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg. Question for the next Off the Post episode. Well, this is the mega show, Sammy, so you're on it. If you could not have traded one of these four Rangers, who would you have kept? Duclair, Dubinsky, Anisimov, Prost. 
her selection is Anisimov. I, up until about two years ago, I would have told you Declare hands down. But the correct choice is Anisimov. Prust, by the time he was gone, uh, was a shell of himself. Dubinsky was Dubinsky for two years, and then, I mean, that's a, just an atrocious contract for him. And Duclair never put it together. I mean, the fear of what Havel Buchnevich would be if he doesn't put it together sort of is Anthony Duclair, although Buchnevich is a better hockey player. So it's got to be Anisimov. He carved out a great career for himself. At least for me. Uh, like... I like Artem Anisimov. I always have. But like like the deal he signed, I'm checking now. The deal he signed in 2015 with Chicago with a 4.55 million hit. Like it was pretty rich for a guy who you know never got to 50 points, I guess, but you know, he he got banged up a bit. I think on this team right now, I don't know. I I, I would probably say Am I crazy to say Duclair? Like, you might be. He had Anisimov was a hell of a hockey player, great two-way hockey player. His offense never really blew you away, but there were. I mean, two. What is this? Three years ago now. Three years ago, he had forty-five points in sixty-five games with the Blue, the uh, Blackhawks. I mean, how much of that is due to who he was playing? I don't know, Michael. But here's the other thing: a three-time twenty-goal scorer, actually four-time twenty-goal scorer. All right, but I have two things to say to you. Here we go. Here's where it comes down to Mike hurting my feelings. No, 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 no. The first of which is Duclair's 23, 24 in August. Jesus, is he that young still? The second of which is he had 19 goals in 74 games split between the Blue Jackets and the Senators. Like, I still take Anthony Duclair. I do love me some Anthony Duclair, I have to say. Let's like, see. Anisimov's 31. Like, well, yeah, so if I'm, I'm more talking player during their quote-unquote prime type okay. aspect. Yeah. And when the Rangers traded Anisimov, he was a kid. He was probably 23 or 24 himself. Hoof, um, Duclair, I mean, what did he have, 33 points last year in about 60-some-odd games, 64 games? It's not a terrible not a terrible season. No, he's a goal scorer, man. And, like, uh, Torts fell in love with him in Columbus. Uh, he pushed him really hard, but he admitted that, like, uh, trading... Trading away Duclair was really hard for him because they like they worked really hard on his game and he's one of those guys. The skill is unbelievable. So like, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't like having someone like Duclair. It's a great question. Give me Duclair every day, all day over Jimmy VC. Like, oh fuck yeah. You know, like it's not even close to me. Um, just like in terms of the sort of players, they are roughly the same you know, age and, you know, both play wing and all that. But, like, yeah, that's a great question. That it is a great question. question. I like that question. Uh, Atlantic Ocean Suites. There's an email question. Hi, Mike and Joe, parentheses, and Joe and Mike. Can't get uh, it wrong. Um, however, oh, he told me his name. Mike Strum. Can't mess up pronunciation, pronunciation of my name. I may have. Also, you spelled my name wrong. It's J-O-E, not J-O, but that's fine. Uh, oh, he's the one who suggested that we use emails if you don't have Twitter. So he oh, thanks go. us for this. You're very Another welcome. Another Mike. What a surprise. Um, shut your mouth. Mike my question me. is, what chance do we have of having a rookie of the year next year? And who is most likely to get it if it is a Ranger? It's Capo Caco if it goes anywhere. Yeah, and I... <sighs> 
I'm uh, yes, it's a hundred percent Kako. I mean, I'm just saying. If Jack Hughes plays with. I'm just fucking, fucking saying, Taylor Michael, Hall. that I think that Kako is more prepared for the NHL game than Hughes is right now. Hughes is a, is a child. Very fair. He's a child. He he is an infant. Kako is an ox human. He's ox man. Kako is like the if you're in the Serengeti, he's the the lion who's like his mane isn't all the way grown in, but he's still just a murder mouth. You know what I mean? A murder mouth? Whereas Jack Hughes is still like little whiny Simba voiced by, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. All right, let's, let's get to the next question before you you continue. Did this. Matthew Broderick do the voice of old Simba? I think he did. I, when Simba I came back no after idea. we had a bunch of bugs with Timon and Pooms. Mm, Remember we, that? We took my daughter to uh, Build-A-Bear yesterday because... Oh, fun. We did a little mommy daddy daughter day on her final Aww. weekend of being an only child, or second yeah. to last weekend of being an only child, because she loves lions. She's on my lap right now with Kion, who is Simba's child, who has his own show, his own animated show on Disney called The Lion Guard. So we took her because they have all sorts of Lion King stuff, and we were like, oh, this will be nice. It'll be an opportunity for her to get a new lion. And you know who she wanted? The fucking warthog. She wanted him. Puma. Puma. Wanted him. Puma, not Puma. Puma's a name for a mountain lion. Pumba. 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 And Pumba. Akuna Matata. What do you have the name picked out for the next Fortunato baby? Joseph. No. Not a junior, though. I am also a Joseph, not a junior. So why not? Uh, why not Michael? Why not? Uh, because Michael is a horrible name. Am I going to be a godfather this time? Uh, yes. To another child. Sean Gabay, if Kreider is traded, who is the Rangers' best option to fill his role in front of opposing netminders? That's a great question. I like that question. It could be Kako. Kako is a big physical guy. He's hard as hell to move. Um, Brendan Lemieux is my guess. On the power play and stuff, though? I'm I mean, like that's. I'm talking about Kreider's complete offensive impact. Kako, he can clean up the junk, man. He Kako could, is 6'3". He could do a lot of that. Almost 200 pounds. So. He's an ox, a human ox. And he's strong as hell on his skates. I like Brendan Lemieux. I think strong. would be a good power play two option. He's not going to replace Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider is so good in that role. Um, that that is how Lemieux scored a lot of his goals last year too. Yeah. He was in front of the net. Yeah, he's a he's a guy who scores from the Jimmy VC area, like you know, a stick's length around the net. So like, you scored six feet around the net for the most part, and uh, he's really adept at wraparounds. I know that's something he he worked on with his dad, that part of his game, and getting good at that. Um, you know, because you know it became evident when he was a prospect that you know he had to get kind of creative to find his goals. Um, because he's never going to be the fastest guy or have the silkiest hands. So, you know, you when you're a guy like that, like, uh, you know... Our Silky mitts. Other, other question mentioned Brandon Pruss. Like, Brandon Pruss scored goals any way you can get them. Uh, same is true of Brian It's a little Boyle. different. Maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe they, the answer to that is a free agent. Maybe it's Brian Boyle. Um, oh, you know what, Michael? Speaking of that, are you ready for this one? Jason Silverman, I thought the, though the Rangers have accelerated the rebuild, they're still rebuilding, be it the later stages. Why sign free agents like Brian Boyle when you have a number of younger kids that need to play? Developing younger players is still the number one goal in the coming year, no? Why don't you handle that one, Michael? 
That is a very good question, a fair question, especially because the Rangers did sign Gregory McKegory, Greg McKegg, uh, even though it's just... Who, there's no way he, he's... Like, could he possibly be an NHL-expected talent? Joe, it was a one-way deal. Yeah, but he was signed for less than the the total to be buried. So, like, Joe? we talk... I'm just saying, Michael, we talk a lot about the ways that Jim Dolan is a good owner for the New York Rangers and hockey. One of the ways is that he you don't give a fuck about his money, man. Joe? If you got to pay the guy 750 k to play in the AHL, you pay him fucking 750 k to play in the AHL. <laughs> Period. End of story. You know, he paid fucking Wade Vernon. I'm just saying they re-signed Cody McLeod last season. Keep, keep this evil off of me, Ricky Bobby, with your, your penis, okay? That's what but, this is. Like, I'm not wrong. I'm not saying that's what's I'm, happening here. But I'm not like, saying you're wrong. I, we need to get to the question because we got into a whole side side clam here. Well, you you, 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 you open the clam. Open up the clam. Are you, you? Did you have an answer to the question? I'm gonna. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's my answer to the question. I like in, clams, by the way. It's good food. I like clams too. In the event that the New York Rangers do sign a guy like Brian Boyle. The reason you do it again is to be – it's not – you're not signing Boyle to be anything more than a fourth-line talent, right? And in that case, you're really not developing talent on the fourth line. If you're taking a roster spot away from Leas Anderson on the fourth line, you have bigger problems than taking away a spot for Leas Anderson. And part of the reason why I think it's such a – you do want guys like Brian Boyle to kind of shepherd the sheep, right? You need somebody there to kind of take control in that yeah, regard and, and teach the players how to play the game the right way. And and I do think some of that is overstated, but Brian Boyle is still a good hockey player. And he's a fine one- or two-year stopgap before the Rangers kind of move forward in that regard. The only issue with a guy like Boyle is you you lose the effectiveness of a guy like Bunievis. And he's a guy who could easily and probably should easily be the Rangers' fourth-line center next year. That's my issue. But, like, key kids who are going to have roles, hopefully, and are going to grow and do all this fun stuff, Brian Boyle doesn't affect them one iota, not one. All right, well, let's let's break it down very quick. If break it down. Cap Friendly's <laughs> Rangers roster, you got 15 forwards listed. Oh, right off the bat, right there. Right off the bat, Matt Bolesky is in the AHL. So you're down to 14. And then you can say Greg McKegg. AHL. He's in AHL. Put him in the AHL. Who's on the board? Boom. We're at 13. Um, And then you say to yourself, is Chris Kreider still here? Question mark? I don't know. But I don't think we, I think we can safely say, Joe, that Chris Kreider, Vlad Nemesikov, Ryan Strom, one of them won't be here. I don't feel like that's a stretch. I don't think that's a stretch at all. I fully so agree with you. At so least one of them. we're down to what? What did I say? We're down to 12 now or 13? Mm, right? We should have kept count. But yes, yeah. I think we're at I think we're at 13 still. Yeah, so let's say we're at 13, which means... And we haven't made a decision yet on Kreider. Yeah, and you haven't made a decision yet on Kreider, but we're just saying one of Strom, Kreider, and Vlad are gone. And so the situation you're at now is you have... Uh, One extra forward. You have Nieves as your 13th. And, you know, you have your bottom six looks like, you know, Jesper Fast, uh, Brett Howden, Brendan Lemieux, um, Leas Anderson, probably. Mm. You know, pro- maybe Vl- Vlad Domestikov if he's the probably guy's around. Probably Vlad Domestikov. So, like, is there room for another guy? Yeah, but you do have to ask. 
where people fit. So, like, do the Rangers look at someone like Brian Boyle? Only if other things move around, I think. Like, because you need to make the room, right? So, let's go back. We're at 15. Bleski gone. Let's just say one of Vlad, Strom, and Kreid's gone. Two gone. And then you have Greg McKegg, not really there. So that's 15 minus 3, and then you're at 12. So you have no Nieves and you have Brian Boyle. I'm, yeah, I'm, there is room for another guy. It just... I'm sighing know. because there's a second layer to this question, which yeah. is eh, the financial aspect. Yeah, can you afford? You yeah. Can you afford Brian Boyle in an environment where you're already strapped for cash to the point where you're trying to figure out what you have to do with Nemestikov and Strom to save money? You might liquidate Chris Kreider to save money. Can you really afford Brian Boyle? Is that a luxury you need when you have a guy like Boone Eves who can easily play that role? And to me, the answer is no. So if that's your concern with a guy like Boyle, I'm 100% behind that. But it, if you're worried about whether or not like Boyle's going to stop a, ca- a guy from showing off his skills, it's not going to happen. This is, this is not – it's just not a circumstance Boyle where that's – Boyle is coming off of a two-year deal with a uh, – The Devils, two, and then he played point, his time in Nashville. 2.55 AAV. And so, you know, he did have 18 goals last season, but, you know – he also hasn't played 82 games in a little bit, and it's it's so funny to think because you know we saw him at a, that stage of his career, but Brian Boyle isn't isn't a kid anymore. So no, he's 34. Like Oof. you can, I would imagine, you probably could get Brian Boyle at a lot less than the 2.55 million he made last season. Um, I I would, but even like a million dollars, the Rangers don't have to spend right now. That's I, this is listen, really what it comes down to. I'm just saying there's scuttlebutt. Don't take that attitude with me. There's scuttlebutt about Brian Boyle, and I get it on paper because there is some uncertainty with the center position, and it would be nice to have a guy like Brian Boyle who you can be like, ah, Jesus, Brian Boyle, take a couple shifts on the second line, show the kids how the hell things go, and then you know Filipino watches him and says, wow, he's very tall. Look at how he does the face-off. And then he, maybe he gets better at face-offs, even though face-offs aren't necessarily important. I'll scuttle your butt, you son of a bitch. Filipino um, was very bad at face-offs last season, and I he, don't care very much. No, face-offs are stupid. Uh, Zachary Smilowitz. Who wins in a fight, 100 New York City Rats or a Kodiak Bear? Mmm... So I there do you remember the it was uh it was like a meme A hundred rats? Yes, a hundred. The bear. Well, we're talking New York City rats though, so the rats could be the size of a cat. Dude, bears are gigantic. Yeah, but here's the thing, okay? And and this is just the point that I'm gonna make on this. A hundred rats is a lot of like they could be eating the bear's feet if they all attack at once. A bear is not going to be able to stop them. They're going to do. You're, most of them are going to die, but uh, they're going to win. Homeboy, you don't know a bear. You have number. What is the bear going to do, Michael? A bear can weigh fourteen hundred fucking pounds. Right. You have a hundred rats, and I'm talking cat-sized rats. My cat is like twelve pounds, and it's a big cat. So that's, that's a joke. 
That's a I, joke. I just think they they'd got over a tiny mouth. What are they going to do? The bears got thick fur. That's it, a bunch of bullshit. It's the bear by a mile. They'd overwhelm in numbers. I think the bear would eventually get tired, the and the rats can take it to the water. The bear can get up a tree. Like a rat will get up a tree, and you know what? The rats can take it to the water. They're sewer rats. You're rethinking this, aren't you? I'm just being honest and fair, unlike you, you son of a bitch. Uh, I'm um, just, I'm telling you, like, New York City rats will just, they'll murder your family. That's what it comes down to. Uh, dude, I don't know. A, a bear is, like, I'm not saying it's going to be, it's not, it's going to be a tough fight, okay? But I, I just rats, think. Okay, here's the thing. A hundred rats swarming a bear doesn't happen unless the bear is dead, right? The bear would just pick these things off. I, but if they all attack it, like here's the rats the main don't question have any is: sense of Have the rats You're not been defend trained? Their but but that's that's that, that that's what I'm saying. If it is if well, it is just a hundred rats just moving around rats? and they're all sure, and I don't think it's going to make a difference because the the bear's at an immediate disadvantage because there's one of him against a hundred New York City hungry rats. All right. Well, where's this fight happening? I don't know. Whenever I have these animal in the fights, subway of I New York. Say, a nice fair battleground is an is a drained pool. It's just a it's a cement bowl, Jesus right? Christ. So it serves. What as, type as of a thought have you put into this? You don't want to know. I uh, too so much, much time thinking about shit like this. I, I think it Connor would... has a theory that he can fight off a literally unlimited amount of coyotes. And didn't I've you been, and I get into this fight once? Yes, we have because I've been arguing about this with Connor. You, for you an unlimited number years. of coyotes. Unlimited amount of coyotes. Is he insinuating he'd never get tired? Is that the That's point? He said, <laughs> it is his claim. It, wait, he his his legitimate a claim. Punch. He can just. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His his thought. I'm, I was talking about unlimited stamina as like a superpower that he was being granted. No, 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 no. He's no. he thinks he could legitimately kill unlimited numbers of coyotes on like as a regular human being. No, like, yeah, his his theory is, like, let's say for five, let's say five hours you just poured coyotes into an, an empty pool, right? A concrete bowl. He would be fine in five hours. Uh, there is zero that percent is his, chance. Yeah, that is his claim. and I think I, I'm going to say three coyotes and he's dead. What kind yeah, of a weapon I, does he have? Just fists. That's his claim. What? No, no Michael, your your brother is a sick individual. He can't, he can't be trusted. He's wrong. Tell him I'd say he's wrong. It's in, that's an insane. I don't even. I there. I have nothing to say. Joe, I, we have there to move on. There was a bear, a bear named Clyde, who lived at a zoo, and when he died, one year later, they found a nine-inch thick fat layer on him, according to Wikipedia. Wikipedia. I'm, Nine inches of fat. To what is that going to fucking do? My only thought process on this is. If if it's just in the wild, the bear wins. Of course if, the bear if, wins. If you can train the rats to fight in unison, I think they overwhelm the bear. Yeah, maybe. You know what? If the rats go straight for the eyes... That's what I'm bl- saying. They go they right for the head, the okay? And then you just... They're not stomping around the feet. Climb. Listen, you're going to sacrifice a lot of rat brethren, okay? It's going it's to be a bloody day. It's going to be D-Day on that bear, yeah. But... You're going to win the battle. It's just, you have too much. There's just too much. That's all. Uh, but at what point is it a win? They just need to take it down and have Yeah, I don't care if there's one it. rat left and it okay. can't even move. You've won. You you don't think that rat gets gets involved in drinking, missing his friends? Uh, I mean, maybe, but he, he won the great rat war bear of all time. 
That's all. Uh, Clem Fandango, two-parter for you, fine gentlemen. Who do you think is the better odds of making the team out of camp, Recall or Hayek? Also, if the top six out of camp is 76. Oh, so Shea Stahl, eight, is who? Did he mean 18? No, he said 18. Who is eight? Is that Fox? Is Is Fox Fox going to wear eight? All right, let's do the first question. Hayek or Rikov? I don't think either of them are going to make the team, but if we're, if we're being honest, it is absolutely Hayek. One, Hayek to me makes all sorts of sense for a lot of reasons. Like, he's already had the taste of the NHL. Um, they're, they both can play, you know, they're both lefties that play the left side, which gives them, you know, a good kind of level ground in that regard. Rikov is interesting. He's become... In many ways, the the forgotten prospect, which he doesn't deserve because he was quite, quite good in the KHL last season um, on a terrible, terrible team, uh, HK Sochi. So I think he could surprise some people in the AHL. With all that being said, yeah, I'm, on, I'm all about Lieber Hayek being the more interesting guy uh, just in terms of his likelihood to make the roster. I don't think either of them do, like you said. But See, I, I would almost disagree. I, I'm more excited about Rikov as a prospect than I am Hayek, I think. Well, so so am I in terms of what they can be. But right now, I think Lieber Hayek is the guy who the coaching staff knows. Right, and, and Rikov has to... He needs to figure out the North American ice, which is uh, something that he's it's just going to have to... Especially for it's a huge adjustment with understanding gap control and understanding the speed of the game and where the physicality is in the North American game. Like, that's a lot for him to wrap his head around. Like, and don't forget, the thing with Lieber Hack is he played uh, Major Junior. You know, he was, he was in the WHL, so... You know, he had, I think, a couple seasons there. Uh, I think it was Saskatoon and Regina is where he was. And you know, Rikov, like you said, is just only really known Russia. So that means he knows that ice surface. And I think it was, I think you and I talked about this, or maybe it was in our Slack channel. Like, I was looking at the, the hit stats uh, from the KHL, because you do have a lot of interesting stats you can look at. And he was just not a defenseman who registered hits. And I, which really, isn't totally unusual no, in, especially, in the KHL. Yeah, it's a less physical league, bigger ice surface. But it was still one of those things. Was like, oh well, I'm sure that's something that it, you know the coaching staff here is going to say. Like, yeah, we want you to hit, kid. Like, you gotta, you, you gotta, gotta get there and hit. You gotta knock guys off the puck. Um, six two, he should be able to hit. He's two twenty five, so he's solid as a rock. Yeah, those are that's it's a it's a long answer, but those are the answers to your questions. Uh, Michael Kanek, Joe, do you always ignore my questions because you don't want to empower another Mike? Maybe that's my answer to that. And then he has an actual question, and he is a patron, so I I am allowing this abuse because of that. Not that I want to trade him, but if you were going to trade Leah Anderson in a prospect swap like Buffalo did with Nylander, what prospect would you trade for? I think the only guy that legitimately makes sense in this regard is Pujarvi. Pujarvi, yeah. Pujarvi. Who's also Pujarvi. an RFA, by the way. Hmm. Um, he makes that's, sense that's, to me. I mean, how many other people, especially in like a realistic sense, Anderson, you're either selling super low on Anderson or 
you're selling Anderson to somebody who, you know, in the case of Edmonton, you can just be like, listen, we're going to get a trade of scene, change of scenery guy. You're going to get a change of scenery guy. That's all it is. Yeah, Puyarvi is still 21. Um, he did mm-hmm. play 46 games. Edmonton completely season. bungled his usage. And he Just a usage been, bungler. That's a, that's a really good word for it. They have just bungled him, like, in every, by every possible measure, right? And... Like, some people will look at 46 games, 4 goals, and 5 assists. Why do people think this kid's good? Especially, like, his AHL stats aren't, you know, jumping off the page. Because he was bungled. Straight bungled. It's not a secret that Edmonton, like, Connor McDavid succeeded not because the prospect development is good. (laughs) He's just an amazing prospect. He's just... He's just hockey Jesus. He's very, very good at the hockey thing. Um, Which is an important, you know, we have to say, that is an important aspect of being a hockey player, is being good at that hockey hockey thing. thing. Let's do that hockey. With the skating and the shooting and the, yeah. The skating and the shooting and the scoring the goals. Um, Yeah, that's, that's the only real trade that I can see that makes sense in the regard, like if you're gonna move Anderson in a deal where you're not completely losing out and selling low, it's going to be one of those change of scenery deals, and that's yeah. that's kind of what we're working with right now. Gray Market, hello, Michael and Joseph. Is Truba historically considered a good power play quarterback? How would you rank our current options for that role? Hmm. I, Truba played a, a an enormous amount of time on the power play in Winnipeg, and he put up 50 points last year. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Now, the Jets have line A, and they have a couple of other trigger guys on the power play that definitely make something of a difference. But to me, I mean, listen, next year, Truba is easily the most suited for the power play role simply because, A, he's done it before, and B, he's he's the best of the options. I mean, D'Angelo, actually, D'Angelo? I, I was going to say, I kind of forgot about D'Angelo. I might be doing him a disservice there. Um, but Fox isn't going to be ready right away. And, and d- you know what? D'Angelo, he moved the puck really well. D'Angelo may be my number one, to be completely honest with you. It may be D'Angelo Truba, and, and part of that isn't a talent thing so much as the Rangers are going to be asking Truba to do a lot. And I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's the Ryan McDonough thing again. Do you really want to have Truba do a lot of everything and, and just kind of take him away from these other opportunities. That's really what it comes down to. And I don't know if I That's want well that. Said. I often say things well. Here's the thing about Jacob Truba that most folks should understand. Um, I'm looking at natural stat trick right now. Natural stat trick. Last season, Joe, 18 power play points. We're talking about Truba. Yeah. Jacob Truba. So that's actually, for the amount of offense that he put up, that's not a ton. Not a ton. The years before that, Joe, in the 54 games he played in 2017-18, three power play points. Mm-hmm. But was he playing a lot on the power play back then? I'm just telling you. I mean, 81 minutes, I'd have to compare it to, I have to look at his per games. Wait, he, he only played 81 minutes? I have to look at his per games, buddy. Mm. Well, I'm just saying, I, I right. It's true, but off the bat, because again, he's the most suited for it. Yeah. But so last season it was. I'm sorry, I just found the answer for you. Um. So, 2017-18, a minute thirty on the power play. This past season, two minutes and four. So another thirty-four seconds. And, and he put up. He put up the offense to boot. So. 
Yeah, so my whole thing is like, yeah, he, he is that guy, but I think the point you raise about you don't want to McDonough him and just say, like, you're on PK1, power play one, even strength, you're one. play with Mark Stahl. You're please. on a lot of ones, kid. Yeah, just just hang on, hang on as long as you can. But the... Don't die. Like, you have Tony D'Angelo. Like, Who's a very know. good hockey player. He just he does the power play thing very well. Let it happen. You also have Kevin Shattenkirk, who, you know, I think if you sit, tell tell him like you know play on your offside on the second power play unit, try to get your confidence back up. Why not? But and in, in to to rate him, I would say it's it's ADA, Truba, Shattenkirk, Fox, in terms of the power play quarterbacks. Just be and I only put. Fox where he is because, you know, he's a rookie. We don't know, right? It's it's very hard to say what he's going to be able to do. With that being said, he was just a beast on the power play in college and a primary point machine wizard. So I'm all about giving Adam Fox a chance, and that's why we have a preseason and training camp. So there's the next question, actually, from Evdog. 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 Hey guys, love the show. What are your expectations for Tony D'Angelo this year? Who do you think ends up with a higher point total, Fox or D'Angelo, assuming Fox does not spend the time in Hartford? I'm going to say, again, D'Angelo simply because, A, he was a half a point per game player last year he anyway. 30 and 60 last season. And, B, D'Angelo has the NHL experience. Like, D'Angelo should be a better hockey player next year because he has the experience. Um, the only reason D'Angelo doesn't have more points next season is is Anthony D'Angelo. You know yeah, I mean? that's a good... He gets in his own way with off-the-ice nonsense or on-the-ice nonsense. He's proven in the past he's capable of both in abundance. And, you know, if he keeps his head on straight, does what he has to do to, to keep David Quinn, to stay on the right side of David Quinn, he... Like, he... Tony D'Angelo has 50-point potential on the blue line. That sounds crazy. I, I don't think sounds, it sounds that crazy. I know that might sound crazy to some people, but he's legitimately that good with the puck. He's that good. The files are in the computer. In the computer. Like 15 goals, 35 assists, 10 goals, 40 assists, not at all unreasonable. Uh, I don't think so either. As And again, this is... We understand it sounds crazy. Not this season, mind you, but like in, in general, a years he can develop into that kind of guy. That kind of guy. Just, that kind of guy. You hear me? He's that kind of guy. That's what it comes down to. Sixty-one games and Tony D's that kind of yeah. guy. Okay, he's gonna do the thing and the thing and Please. put the thing in the thing. Please stop this. The other Eric Carlson. Um, NFL and MLB games are in London. Should the NHL dabble in transatlantic games? If so, where? London doesn't seem the best. Sweden, Russia? Question mark. Uh, the Rangers played in Sweden, or was it Sweden? Maybe it was Prague when Zherdev was still on the team. Didn't they do like a European Cup thing? It was the first year they had Brad Richards. Didn't the Rangers play? Uh, what was it Hank's team? Moto. No, they, they played Burl the... No, it's not Moto. For Lunda, they did not play. You That's son of I a mean. bitch. They didn't play for Lunda. Right. They played um, Berlin, I think. Berlin? Yeah. I the bear. It has the bear with the, the tongue sticking out, the logo. Everybody thought it was so a, cool. A polar bear? Well, it's just like a bear. I, it was something with a B. A Kodiak bear covered in rats? Um, 
Anyway, I think the NHL needs to do a better job of expanding that that market, especially China's a huge hockey market. So I would not be Didn't opposed the Kings to play there in the preseason or some shit. I see. I don't think they did. You're going to make me seem like an idiot if I say the NHL should go there because they haven't, and then they have Michael. So you just you keep making me look stupid. We're going to go to the next question. Uh, Abby. Um, yes, they did play. In China. All right, you know what? Shut up. Uh, what is the latest news on Lindy Ruff? Uh, there is none. That's the answer. He's going to be here this year. It is what it is. Oh, you're going to have to. I found a list of international games. You're going to have to get. Yes. Okay, let's go. Where did the Rangers play? Two thousand seven. Right, calm, calm down, you fuck. Two thousand seven. Put it fuck. on the board. I want it on the board. Two thousand seven. New York Rangers uh, didn't play anywhere. Okay. Two thousand eight. Put it on the board. <laughs> no, it oh, had to be two thousand six then. Burn. SC Burn, not Berlin. That's what it was. Uh, Burn. They also played in Burn. They played Metalurg Magnitogorsk, and they played Tampa Bay in Prague. Yeah, it was like the European Cup. And they played Cup. Tampa Bay in Prague again. Hmm. All right, so I was mostly right, and that gives me tons so of we're credit. Both, we're both dopey boys. But I'm correct. Right. Um, Bride Byards? And last season, um, I wasn't done talking. Well, I decided you were finished. All right. No, go ahead. Last season, what? No, no, no. Tell like me the fucking China thing, and I'll lose my shit. <sighs> okay, well, 20 on May 2nd. No, it was a September 15th of 2018. This is the worst podcast Boston and Calgary played two games in this China. Shenzhen and Beijing. I don't even and know And in 2017, the Kings and Canucks played two games. So that's two years in a row, you son of a bitch. I'm just... Rangers I'm, and Panthers played in Puerto Rico? When did that happen? 2006. That's not that long ago that neither of us would remember that, for the record. They won that game. Goddamn well, right they did. Just that Puerto Rican victory. Three to two win over the Florida Panthers, September twenty third, uh, two thousand six. Boom. Fucking boom. Well, hope you're proud of yourself. Byers. I, I offered information. You offered just saying no one played with China. Oh, it wasn't that nobody played in China. It was just that it's an untapped market that maybe is semi-tapped. So. That's all I have to say. Uh, Byards, first of all, really enjoyed the podcast. Question, Hank's contract comes up in two years, and with Shostyurkin waiting in the wings, what do you think will become of Georgiev moving forward? Um, it, we've we've kind of talked about this a little bit. It's insane. It's absolutely insane to think right now, oh, we could trade Georgiev because, no. you know, we, because we have Shostyurkin. You, you don't trade what you don't know. And you don't know what you don't have until you know what you have. So the reality of the situation is the New York Rangers need to figure out what they have in Georgiev, and they need to figure out what they have in Tristurkin before they can make any decisions. Henrik Lundqvist is going to be an NHL goaltender for two more years for the New York Rangers. I think there's an argument that could be made as to whether or not that's going to be uh, he's going to make the team better if you, you keep, will you keep Georgiev at least you got to figure least. it who's on the board you got to figure it out that's the that's really the be all end all on this one who's okay on the board? that's what Joe says he wants to know who's on that board i if you're not telling me who's on the board we're going to have serious problems how many rats can you get on that person? how many rats are on the board i mean how think about it how many rats does it take to get to the rise how many rats does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Roll rat? And in the case, in the case of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you need one Georgie up to get to the rise. I don't okay, know how many Sturkins you need. Uh, tweets by Phil. Hey, Joe and Mike. Can all the upgrades to the back end be for nothing without changes to the defensive coaching? Um, as I said before with the Lindy Ruff thing, no, the Ra- like he's here. It is what it is. The Rangers, you're going to have to deal with it, at least for now. 
and then we'll we'll figure out what happens there as we move forward. Panero in twenty twenty. Hey, Joe and Mike, this. of all the uh, very quickly, John Davidson probably likes Lindy Ruff, just and the rest of the coaching staff like him. There's no way that all the money that's going into this team in the rebuild, if they if there is some sort of belief that the defensive coaching isn't good enough, that's going to change in a hurry. It sure felt like he's here, or at least was here last year, to just kind of make sure that like David Quinn, you know, learned the ropes, if you will. Um, you don't you don't need Lindy Ruff here anymore. That's all. Uh, Panero in twenty twenty. Out of all the draft picks we've made the past two years, outside of Kako and Kravstov, who are you most excited about? Keandre Miller. Yep, Keandre Miller. Who's on the board? Keandre Miller's on the board. Who's on the board? Um, Keandre Miller. Just uh, Miller is just and he's in, he's a beast. He he only started playing defense three years ago. Just somebody who absolutely you, you can't say enough good things about the kid. That's all. The what, the season he had, even though it was abbreviated and interrupted by injury, with he's the on Badgers, the board. He's on my board, Joe. <laughs> he's on the board. Put him on the board. Um, how about Put, who's he's right on the two? board? That's that's fun. Who would be your num- num- numero dos? Lundquist. Oh, see, I agree with you. I like that. No, oh, look at that. See, the two of us we we're just out here fucking agreeing with each other. No, no Kravstov, no Kako. All right, yeah, then I would say Nas Lindquist. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really easy decision to make, at least in that regard. He's on my board. Um, he's on the board. Well, this is part of the board, Michael. you got to figure that out. Who's on the board? board. He's on the board. Uh, final question. Like and Tarmo Ronin. And no mm, you're just out here liking Ruminin, huh? Mm. Mm. Interesting. Think you're Can better you than everybody else. Last name for me right now. With your R E U M M E N. How much of it did I get right? There's not a single M in a surname, and I believe you tried to sneak two in there. So uh, I, there was an N and an M, Michael. I tried to cover both of my bases. You were thinking about M and M's again, weren't you? Uh, I do love M and M's. Good old M and M. You know, I I had a. A neighbor showed me that if you put M&Ms in a bowl and put them in the microwave for like, I don't know, 15 seconds or so, the inside of the M&M melts, but the outside stays crunchy, and you just crunch into an M&M that's then like melted chocolate. It's delicious. And people wonder why our country got to the moon first. They do. Uh, Stephen Gulf. Hey, guys. I was very... I was very happy to hear in the last podcast that you could take questions through email. I work in neuroscience research, and I've read a lot of studies about CTE, and it's amazing to me that the NHL has been trying to downplay the science so much. As a huge hockey fan as well, I'm often conflicted by my love of the game and how little the sport is doing to address the issue, starting with the fact that they won't even publicly acknowledge how much of a problem it is. I'm always curious to see what other hot... What did you say? And the NHL was just given a humanitarian award. Yes, which is insane. I'm always curious to see what other ha- hockey fans think can be done about CTE, given that it is becoming such a large problem. What are your thoughts on the steps the NHL can take to mitigate it, aside from what they have already done? Here's here's the easy slash very difficult answer to this question. Mm. What the NHL can do 
honest to God, is admit that it's a fucking problem. That's the first thing they can do. They well, that can admit that's step one. Because they can admit no that hockey causes CTE. Yeah. That's what they that constant head trauma. It causes CTE. They can admit that. The minute you admit that, I need his brain trauma. The 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 floodgates open up in that regard. They really do. It there's changes a, couple, a lot of things. There's a couple of solutions no one's gonna like. The first of which is slow the game down. If the game gets slowed down, the the force involved in collisions reduces. The likelihood of a brain hitting the skull reduces. You have less... The collisions won't be quite as violent if the game slows down. How do you slow the game down? In so doing, you make it less entertaining. Hockey is the sport it is because it's the fastest team sport in the world. Like That's part of hockey's culture. And then you enter this really uncomfortable world that football has had to deal with, where you just say to yourself, all right, we, we, it's, we're just accepting the fact that there's going to be a lot of brain trauma in the sport that we love. And that is very problematic. I think there is something to be said about equipment, about, you know, things like, you know, what people are trying to do with mouth guards that, you know, help stabilize your head and, you know, where your jaw is and all that. The the other thing is, do we need shoulder pads that are like knight's armor? Or should we maybe go back to like the 80s shitty Wayne Gretzky shoulder pads that are closer to pillows? Like... Uh, there's definitely something there, I think, to to take that down. Other than that, like, we're dealing with a sport that seems like it was designed, like football in many ways, to generate concussions and brain trauma, right? Like, it happens every game. There's there's trauma to the human brain in every single game, and, and many times on every single shift. If you're getting hit in the body, nowhere near your head, you can still get a concussion. You can still suffer brain trauma. That's a crazy thing to think about, but that's the reality here. That's the science. Here's here's a realistic thing the NHL can do. And when I say they can care, I'm being 100% serious. You could take Mike is right, but but if you're not going to if you're not going to slow the game down, if anything if anything the game is getting faster. Here's what you actually do. You institute legitimate punishments for teams that don't adhere by the concussion code. And I don't remember who the Bruin was. Was it Pasternak said that he played with a concussion basically for 3 weeks in the playoffs? Oh, and then, like, admitted to it after who, who, whoever it was. Something like that, you lose next year's first-round draft pick. Period. End of story. You don't get another choice. Absolutely not. You, you hand out mandatory, like, at the minimum, 15-game suspensions for any headshot. And if it's intentional or you're a repeat offender, go to the MLB suspension policy with steroids and say, listen, it's a three-strike policy and you're out of the game. I get it that it's very difficult to enforce those things. And and here's another thing that we need to talk about. And if anything, this almost makes it more uncomfortable. Any issues you have with NHL player safety, you have to blame the players. Because they're the guys that are not negotiating a stricter safety policy in the CBA. They're not concerned about punishing each other for taking liberties out on the ice. They think they're going to be able to do it with their fists and take care of it themselves. That's the problem. The NHL players' safety is its own brand of stupidity at times. 
but the maximum fines and you know you 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 can only get five games suspension and then if it's a in hearing meeting and all that stuff that's all negotiated in the CBA. I feel like if they want to get serious, they can get serious. I feel like all we need to understand about where the league is and where, to some extent, you know, the league encompasses players and general managers and, and ownership and everything. All we need to understand where things are in terms of how serious dirty hits and repeat offenders and problematic play that causes concussions are. Just look at the deal that Tom Wilson got. Joe. Yeah. Five point one six million for six years for a repeat offender who is widely considered one of the dirtiest players in hockey, if not the dirtiest, and probably the most dangerous just because he's so big, right? He's so big that when he does go over that line, he's six foot four. You know, like when Brad Marchand slew foot someone, it's super dangerous. But when Tom Wilson tries to kill Oscar Sunquist in the preseason, like, oh yeah, he could have killed him. Like he's he's that much of a, a force and like that guy's getting that contract that part of the game isn't going to go away if guys like that are getting that sort of contract and that's why i think it was last uh september i think or, or august i wrote a piece about like looking at you know where suspensions came from and how the league handed them out and like the bottom line is you need to have stiffer penalties and I, and I agree with you. You need to find a way to punish teams that make that... Like, you might, if a team has a player, if the Capitals have Tom Wilson and he knocks a guy out, let's say he gives a guy a concussion, he's out six months, there's something to be said about Tom Wilson shouldn't be back on the ice for six months. Right. right? Or you're kind of right, too. And the Capitals should, should also take a hit because how else are we going to learn? Right. You're a repeat offender. Okay, now you're losing draft picks. You're a repeat offender once, okay, you just lost the second round pick. You know, something like that. And people are going to hear that and they're going to balk and they're going to go, oh, it's a men's game and blah, blah, blah. We, I don't, I'm going to say this. I really shouldn't because I don't know. But last conversation about this, Michael Sauer could not, like, he can't live a normal life. And I don't know if that's still the case or not. And I hope it isn't. But you're talking about Let's people's say- lives. If it's not the case, then his life is still dramatically was altered. At, right, it was his, altered. It's at some at best, it was altered career, for a period years, of time. The quality of his life dr- dramatically changed. Obviously, not for the better. His career, the, the what he worked for, all of his career just went away with a hit. One hit by Dion Phaneuf, I believe it was, and you know it just, uh, it, just it was so Phaneuf. Happened. It just so happened that that was for for Michael Sauer. That's all it took, and. That's this thing, and I know, you know, I said, you know, take hitting out of the game, and, you know, as someone who follows and covers the women's game, there are a ton of concussions in women's hockey as well, and that is a big thing that doesn't get talked about a lot, but there's also the whole theory of, you know, like, uh, a lot of, you know, in women's hockey, you have full face shields, full visors, and, you know, when you're coming up through juniors, you have all that, and you feel indestructible, right? And there is a big problem with that. Like, it's crazy and counterintuitive, but there might be something to less equipment. Like, keep your helmets on, obviously, but, like... That's what they talk about with football. Take away helmets. Yeah, yeah, because the helmets are... It becomes a blunt instrument, right? It becomes a weapon, essentially. That's a crazy thing to think of, but, like, a shoulder pad in hockey becomes a weapon. When you... 
when you don't pull back at all because you know you're not going to sustain an injury, but you can just clean a guy's clock out and hit him on the jaw, like Tom Wilson will do, it's a problem. I agree, Michael. I actually read that question ahead and saved it for the end because I knew it was going to be a... uh that's why you're a professional. You know what, Michael? I feel like a professional, if it makes you feel any better. So it should, yeah. because you get to work yeah. with me every single day. Patreon.com slash blue shirt banter. Um, again, please donate. We've gotten a flood of new donations. Uh, I appreciate that. Michael appreciates that. It helps us keep the show better. So we would like you to uh, continue to do that if possible. You get awesome tchotchkes too. Mike sends out stickers and and mugs and sometimes he writes little hand-drawn notes and sometimes it's photos of him nude and you just don't know what you're going to get basically is what I'm saying. So I normally write thank you. uh, No, you know, Michael, he draws me things sometimes. Um, Sometimes he, uh, you know, he goes out of his way to... Push you in it and make he, he puts you. he draws me a bath and he, he puts delicious like rose petals in it for me i don't know why i said delicious Have you ever eaten never, a flower a lot of people eat flowers um, some people do eat flowers i'm i'm down for eating a flower what do you think is the best tasting flower it's a great question honey flower is that even a thing did you just make up a flower because you couldn't think of a flower yeah honey well i'm trying to think of like roses can't taste good Sunflowers, sunflower seeds are delicious. Does that count? I think that counts. I'm okay. looking at the ten most edible flowers. Well, ed- that doesn't mean delicious. While he's doing that, a new patron two five two one one chrysanthemums five two one two. Uh, Adam Nowick, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Armael Kistner, Andre Chicago, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Christopher. Manamite? Manamite? CJ Vivola, Clark Carroll, the past three are new. I don't know. You you want to do this from now on, you son of a bitch? Craig Launchin, Dan Carosi, Daniel DeJean, Danny Santiago, David Osinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, 50, um, Gabriel Vargas, Igor Zatlovsky, James Dangles, Jeffrey Stein, Jermaine Francis, both of them are also new. John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Heath Franchillo, Matt from Brooklyn, Guy from Montana, Michael Alsante, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Michael uh, Offit, Panarin 2020, <laughs> Sammy Vogue. It is a squad a of, of Mikes. Um, another new one, Stephanie Benvengo, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Robert. Another new one, The Tin Man. Thomas Osa, we have a couple more on the next page, and then Trevor Kempner, one more. Thank you all for donating. We appreciate it. We Could love all of you. A cup with that amount of Joe. I hate you. 